Welcome to this episode of Mia Lux and Love, brought to you in partnership with Lavette, an intentional dating platform for self-aware singles. And today's question that we're diving into is, how do relationships impact health? Now, I think most of us have an awareness that, yeah, of course, how happy we are in our relationships or our friendships or our family has some kind of impact on us, whether it's just the feeling of stress or sadness. But what's really interesting is if you look into the data, and my guest this, uh, for this interview will take us through that, if you look at that, there is a far more direct and surprising correlation between the quality of your relationships and the state of your physical well-being. Now, my guest today is the incredible Dr. Mark Hyman, who is you know, one of the world's leading functional medicine physicians. You know, he's a real pioneer in this space, a teacher and a, a writer. He's a 14 times New York Times bestselling author. He's the founder of the Ultra Wellness Clinic. He is the leader of innovation and strategy at Cleveland Clinic's Center of Functional Medicine. Um, and, you know, you probably have seen, you know, his podcast, The Doctor's Pharmacy, which is a leading uh, health podcast as well. And he's also my husband my was husband. Mark and I were married for an incredible four years and we learned so much together during that period. You know, it was such a period of understanding ourselves, our patterns. It's where for me this idea of like intentional relationships really started and we went through a beautiful conscious uncoupling process which is why we are such great friends now and he's one of my investors in Lafette and has been such a great support. Now we both deeply care about the quality of our human relationships and are deeply curious about how they impact the world around us. Mark's perspective is especially interesting because as well as being you know, such an expert in you know, physiology of humans, he's also been deeply curious about how relationships impact that and has built incredible programs using that knowledge to help his patients. So let's dive in. How do relationships impact health? Mark, thank you so much for jumping on with me and exploring this amazing question about you know, the relationship between happy, healthy relationships and actual health. Because I think you know, so much of the time we see these things as two separate lanes of life, our physical well-being, and then this kind of like, oh, the soft lane of love or friendships. And I know with you, you are not only an extraordinary functional medicine physician who has spent his life learning about the intricate biology of the human body, but I yeah. so respect and appreciate that you've also been learning how that biology is impacted by our social relationships and yeah. have developed programs that really like feed off this. So, so welcome. Yeah. And I, I'd love to start with that. Like, tell us a little bit about, you know, what do you think is the impact of relationships on health? I mean, I mean, it's huge for me. I mean, I, I first really got this when I had a patient years ago, and this was really, uh, it was really a moving story. And, and it's a well-known medical phenomena, which is a broken heart. And uh, literally heart failure from a broken heart. And I had a patient who was married for, you know, 40 something years to a woman he deeply loved. She died of breast cancer and he was healthy. Otherwise he exercised, he ate well. And all of a sudden he went into heart failure, literal heart failure, like a medical condition. And, and I was like, holy crap. And I looked it up and, and it's a well-described medical phenomena that your emotional well-being can literally affect your physical health in such a dramatic way that would cause something as serious as heart failure, where, you know, you need medications and it's, you know, and, and then we, we, we actually worked with him and we did all sorts of weird things like energy healing and all kinds of stuff. And, and you know, obviously emotional support and his heart failure went away. And so uh, we know from the science that our connections are way important than our genetics. 
that the social threads that connect us are far more important than the genetic threads. The, the science from Harvard, uh, from Nicholas Christakis, wrote a book called Connected. And it's about the science of how our social relationships determine our health. And he, he actually looked at the, um, the Framingham study, which was a study of you know, heart disease in this town of Framingham, Massachusetts, uh, where they had you know, thousands and thousands of patients over decades and decades and decades. And, and that's where they first figured out the cholesterol causes heart disease or high blood pressure causes heart disease. But when he looked at the data a different way, he found out that that your social connections, your relationships played such a huge role in your health outcomes. Uh, and for example, he found that if you're overweight, um, and there's a reason for it. And it may not be that your, your family's overweight. It may be that your friend's overweight. He found that you're 171% more likely to be overweight if your friends are overweight than if your brother, sister, or family members are overweight. That's about 40% more likely. And what was even more striking, and this was mind-blowing, was that if your friend's friend was overweight, that you're still more likely to be overweight because of these, these social connections. And so both from the perspective of ill health, um, you know, re relationships um, have a huge role to play, but also from the perspective of positive health. And, uh, and I did a lot of work after I came back from Haiti on, on understanding how we start to change people's behavior for the positive. Uh, I mean, yes, from that study in Christakis, we know that you know, you're more likely to be overweight if your friends are overweight, that's behavior of the negative, right? If all your friends are, you know, eating cheeseburgers and fries and milkshakes and watch, watching uh, TV and all not, not exercising, well, that's more likely that you're going to be doing the same thing. Or if all your friends are drinking green juices, going to yoga, you're likely to be more healthy, right? So, but, but I realized that, that, that relationships can also be a positive force for healing. And that's when I learned about work from Paul Farmer, who, uh, went to Haiti, which was one of the most, you know, uh, you know, just tragic places on the planet and the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, the, half the population lived on less than a dollar a day. They had, they were ravaged with TB and AIDS. And as a young, a young pre-med, pre-med student, he went down to Haiti and he saw what was happening. And then as he went to medical school and he started to realize that, that, you know, what was the problem was this, the structural environment that people lived in the social relationships. And, he started to build a network of community health workers where people literally loved each other well. He called it accompaniment, uh, where we accompany each other to health. And, and that's what I, when I realized that this was not just for infectious disease, because uh, you know there he had to make sure that people took their medicines and they knew what to do and they had clean water. And so that really was a really public health problem. But then I, I, we, have this, we have this phenomenon in, in medicine we call non-communicable diseases which is like heart disease, diabetes, you know, cancer. But the truth is they are, they are very communicable. They're not infectious, but they're contagious. And, you know, I went as a result of that um, to California and worked with this pastor, Rick Warren, to create something called the Daniel Pan, which is a faith-based wellness program. And, and he, his church was so overweight. He was overweight. The average weight for men, I think was 210, women was 170. It was bad. And that was average. I mean, it was a lot, were a lot worse. And we realized that by having people work together in social groups uh, to support each other to live better lives, not having a doctor or coach or a therapist or a nutritionist, but just each other, that they got healthy. And that love it's like was it's positive, positive peer pressure, right? And it's like, yeah, it's, interesting, yeah. it's interesting that we sort of find this surprising. But I, gosh, I remember the first time I learned about this from you, I was so surprised to think that, you know, more than actual medicines or prescriptions or this or that 
what can really help people get to health is essentially that kind of that support and the positive peer pressure. And then I, I mean, I was like, you know, during the time that we were married, I saw how you applied this in Cleveland Clinic, which yeah. really blew my mind. So I'm wondering if you'd share with a little bit about how you took that model and, and put it into the functional medicine context. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when I realized was this was a faith-based wellness model because they already had laid the railroad tracks. They already had small groups that met every week, 5,000 small groups. So I just sort of hijacked that and said, let's let Rick, let's put this in your community. And he's like, great, because we're overweight and I'm overweight and we've got to do something about this. But I realized this wasn't you know unique to a, a faith-based environment. And we created a, a similar program called Functioning for Life at Cleveland Clinic, which was a group model. And what was so striking about that, and we, we did the research on this and actually found that that even seeing the same doctor for the same condition, that the results were three times better in the group than one-on-one -on -one visits. You think, oh, I'm gonna get a private visit with the doctor and that's gonna be way better than being in a group of 10 or 12 people where I see the doctor for five minutes, you know, <laughs> and you just check my blood pressure. But it actually was three times better and the savings were incredible. And so we've, we've replicated this data and I think we're now hopefully gonna do this in, in, uh, in, in the government policies to try to get reimbursement for this kind of work. Cause it's, I call it love medicine right? Community is medicine. Love is medicine. Uh, and and it's, it goes far beyond just the sort of, you know, the kind of obvious, well, if you have support, you're going to do better. It's literally translated into biological signals. Uh, and there's two things people should know about. One is this whole phenomenon of entrainment, that, that when you're in a deep relationship with someone, you are entrained to their biology. So they've done experiments where they've hooked people up with EKGs and EEGs, looking at their brain waves and their heart waves. And if you're in a resonant, connected experience with someone, your heartbeat will register in their brain waves. You literally could see it in their EEG. Now, it works the other way, too. If you're having a toxic relationship, it can actually make you sick. And, and we know this is true. And, 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 uh, and then there's this whole phenomena that I, I, I kind of thought I invented the word, or maybe I did was when I started doing this work with Rick Warren called sociogenomics. You know, we could talk about nutrigenomics, effective nutrition on your genes, but I, I kind of coined this term sociogenomics, but then it started popping up everywhere, like kind of the hundredth monkey thing, you know, and I, and, uh, and actually they've done research on this now, where if you're in a deep loving connection with someone, you will literally express genes that turn off inflammation. If you are in a toxic relationship or in a difficult conflictual relationship, you literally will increase inflammation. So your, your, your relationship determines your biology. You know, uh, uh, Carol Mace talks about how your biography determines your biology. And, and that's true. And so when it comes to this, I mean, that's incredible to think that, you know, I, I, mean, I think we associate relationships with maybe some increased stress or I'm feeling a bit sad. But to understand that the relationships are having these very, very real, very concrete physiological responses. Are you able to explain a little bit about like why? Like why are we having these such intense physical responses to these sort of psychological experiences? Well, I mean, I think from an evolutionary point of view, it's a survival mechanism, right? We, we have to actually respond to cues in our environment and pick up signals and translate those into safe or not safe, <laughs> run or hang out, you know? And I, I think our, our biology is so connected to our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, 
that that it's it's not you know it's not just an abstract idea candace pert talked about this she wrote with an nice researcher she wrote a book called the molecules of emotion and she developed this whole field of psychoneuroimmunology but it should be called psychoneuro immuno immuno endo microbiome whatever ology because it's everything is connected to it and and i and i see this in my practice all the time that people's beliefs and their relationships and their their emotional state plays such a role in whether they get well or not and whether whether they're sick or not and so um you know, there's even something called the, the 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 placebo effect, which is this idea that if you just believe you're going to get better, you get better. That it, and the nocebo effect, if you believe you're going to get sick, you're going to get sick. And, and they've replicated these studies. I when I was, I don't think I ever told you about this, but I I, I met this guy called Bernie Siegel when I was very young, uh, before I went to medical school, who wrote Love, Medicine and Miracles, uh, which was this beautiful book about exactly what we're talking about. And he was kind of bald cancer doctor who was so cute. And uh, he would, we would write letters to each other and he would write me in purple, like purple uh, uh, marker. (laughs) He was like the coolest guy. And he, you know, he, he talked about uh, you know, these experiments where they would literally give cancer patients this uh, incredible new drug that, you know, was a cure of cancer and it was just a placebo and they would give it to them and their cancer tumors would go away. And then they'd go, oh, well, you know, that was kind of really turned out the research didn't turn out so good and their cancer would come right back. And it was just, it was just mind blowing. They even done experiments uh, with, um, with heart surgery (laughs) and they wouldn't be able to do that now, but they would do sham heart surgeries back in the fifties where they would like open you up, crack your chest open, then they would close you back up or they would do an actual like bypass. And they found that there was the same outcomes in both studies. (laughs) So that's how powerful this pharmacy is between our ears. It's the most powerful pharmacy on the planet. And then thinking about it, that is true, which is astounding, right? That the pharmacy in your head is the most important thing understanding that I think, you know, like you were saying, relationships impact that so much. Our psychology is so impacted by who we hang around. And I'm, I'm just going to throw it back to when you were sharing about, you know, the body's sort of response to whether something's a threat or something's safe. And like, what a beautiful question to ask when it comes to our relationships. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, in a relationship with a romantic partner, or even often family, asking like, does, do I register this person as safe or a threat? And the, mm-hmm. it's such an interesting thing when you ask that question, because so many people who are in romantic relationships do have some kind of threat response to their partner because there's emotional unsafety or because there's mm-hmm. a breakdown mm-hmm. in communication mm-hmm. or they don't resolve conflict well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's such an interesting question to be like, oh, how do you start to like look at your relationships from a perspective of support and health? So I'm curious, you know, with what you've seen both, you know, in the medical world, but also your own incredible personal journeys into love and relationships, what do you think are some of the key positive factors that we should look for in our relationships to support our health? What kind of what kinds of characteristics should we be looking for? Well, I mean, you're the relationship expert. <laughs> I think I think the thing that uh, is important is the ability to tell the truth and feel safe in telling the truth uh, and and to have your partner actually respond in ways that are um, receptive instead of reactive. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying how they, they were in a relationship for the first time where they actually felt they could say stuff that was challenging or that was a concern and their new partner didn't explode and blow up and freak out and they've never had that experience before and it created a sense of just relaxation and deepening and opening and 
safety that they'd never had before. So I think that's really, really important. Uh, and also looking for integrity and in actions, you know, people, what they say and what they do should align. <laughs> because when that, when that dissonance happens, it creates a, a sense of disease and disease as a result because we are always waiting for the other shoe to drop and for somebody to not act in ways that are in accordance with what they're saying that causes us to create more stress and more drama and more chaos in our life is it so they're knowing that relationships are so important and and being aware of those like beautiful characteristics that can help create a supportive relationship i mean how do you deal with this when it comes to teaching about medicine and teaching about health or working with your patients because i can imagine it might be strange for if one of your patients is sitting in front of you and you're like okay here's your lab results here's you know the <laughs> diet to take and by the way how's your wife like right, right. <laughs> like no. how like how would how do you kind of navigate that or or maybe a better question is in an ideal world how would a doctor navigate that i mean it, it is it's really part of the functional medicine framework is your relationships it's right at the it's right at the bottom what we call the matrix it's the foundation fundamental factors that that determine your health your diet exercise sleep stress and relationships. And unless you pay attention to that part of your life, you really often are not able to achieve health. Uh, and so I, I do ask them about it. I ask them about their relationships. I ask them about their kids. I ask them about, you know, what's working, what's not working about their sex life. So we get really deep and, and often, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I offer them guidance and help and support toward healing that aspect of their health. Or I, you know, I kind of encourage them to think about, you know, why they're in this relationship and is it working? And it doesn't endings aren't always bad so i think sometimes you know like i was <laughs> I had this patient that wasn't a love relationship but it was uh this woman who was in her 50s whose mother was really emotionally abusive and psychologically abusive and she was living with her 80 something year old mother who was still emotionally abusive and i said and she would keep coming back to me coming back to me and she wouldn't be able to get healthy and she wasn't changing her habits and she i, mean, I said listen i said you need a motherectomy <laughs> You know, you need to get out of that house with your mother. Yeah, like a healthy boundaries. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. So I was, it's, well, I always laugh because it's like I, I in New York and LA, like in the sort of personal growth, health, wellness world, I do know a lot of people who, let's say, do everything right from the health perspective. They exercise, they eat well, but you know how much toxicity they let into their lives relationally is so interesting to me because I can mm -hmm. see how intentional they are about looking after themselves in so many other ways. But those ways almost become like just like buried like coping mechanisms to deal with the stress that they're taking on from whether it's a toxic partner or being in, you know, super dysfunctional relationship with their family and trying to trying to balance those things out. Is, it, it's like like you say, you can't eat your way. Um, exercise you can't exercise your way diet. out of a bad diet. Right. right no. I think it's the same where it's like you can't like just look after your physical health as a way to get out of the toxicity of your relational world. Like mm -hmm. there really is um, something there. Yeah, and I mean, so you can feel it. People feel it in their bodies. I mean, I think the first thing mm -hmm. you do is just tune into your body. Like when you are with somebody, how do you feel? Do you feel activated? Do you feel relaxed? Do you feel tense? Do you, you know, do you feel you know, your stomach churning? Do you feel your chest tight? I mean, just notice what you're feeling. And I, you know, you know, this when you're with people, so it just make you feel like yourself. Other people are like, you're on a little on edge with and And, and our, and our, we have like thousands of, 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 of like millions of years of evolution that have, have actually been programmed into us to be able to detect these things unconsciously and register them and, and learn whether it's safe or not. And I think now we kind of are even willing to tolerate things that aren't very safe because our culture sort of supports that, but, 
it doesn't have to be that way. We can actually start to choose to kind of reprogram ourselves and reorient our love software to choose healthy relationships and to choose people who actually encourage and support us. So I'm very clear in my life. Like if there's somebody in my life who's really a toxic person, I've obviously all of us have those people in our lives from time to time. How do you create healthy boundaries? How do you actually eliminate them from your life? If it is because they're there, it uh, doesn't mean they have to stay there. And I think that's really an important uh, part of healing as well, because uh, we tolerate so much that we shouldn't have to tolerate. No, we do. And like we, we joked about this before, which is that like what looks like normal, we're starting to understand is actually usually quite dysfunctional. And just because yeah. it's normal and we're, we're used to it, we're raised with it doesn't mean it actually should be the standard for a relationship. And, yeah. you know, I'm very curious, like applying this in the context of let's say choosing a new partner and dating. I know you and I, like once we kind of went through our conscious uncoupling, we're both kind of thrust into this world of like, oh, like being single, trying to find people. And, you know, I know that we both are deep appreciators of intentional love and quality love. And so knowing everything you do about how relationships affect health, I'm curious, you know, from your own experience, what advice would you give people who are dating, you know, applying this as they navigate picking a person, knowing that the consequences are actually really high? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a relationship expert, but I do know that that the first thing you have to do is look at yourself and and why you choose the people you do, why you have the patterns you do. Uh, you know, I was reading a book recently called Attached, which was really interesting. It's about our attachment styles, which are often developed in childhood. And there are these unconscious ways that we are in relationship, whether we are over like anxious about, you know, losing love or whether we're avoidant of love or whether we're actually secure and can have healthy love and and be good. So, and those styles can change. You can heal patterns that are dysfunctional. So I think it's important to really look at yourself, whatever the tools you have are. I think uh, Levet is a great way for people to actually figure out their love software and heal it. Um, but it, it, it's, it's something that if you don't do, you're going to keep repeating the same thing over and over and over. If you don't get the Oreos out of your kitchen, you're going to keep eating them, right? It's like, so you got to figure out what your inner Oreos are emotionally and get rid of them. And it's funny because even in the dating process, like I think about how people are willing to say things like, oh, are you into exercise? What kind of exercise are you into? What kind of diet do you have? Like we'll have these conversations with people because we're like, well, I want to choose someone who's compatible with me and has a good lifestyle. But then the same questions we should be asking, like, how do you deal with anger? How do you navigate conflict? Like if I make a mistake, how will you respond to me? How do you regulate your nervous system? How do you deal yeah. with your triggers? Are you forgiving? Yeah. Like all yeah. the funny things that, that I guess ultimately go towards that safety of a relationship, right? Yeah, um, sure. That we often don't ask. We're often, we mm-hmm. often don't think about it, don't ask. So I really appreciate you jumping on and answering this question with us because I do think very few people understand the real physical consequences on their health, but also the opportunity. Like you said, mm-hmm. it can go, it can be negative, but if we choose the right people and if we join the right communities, then we're surrounded by people who can support us to become better and to feel safe and to feel loved and to like yeah. improve our health over time. And yeah. my last question quickly about, I know you went to the blue zones recently. And something yeah. always amazed me about this was like, out, I remember this like, out of like the nine common denominators between the blue zones, five of them are social and relational. Yeah. And I know you've gone ahead tangible experience. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about what you saw there in terms of relationships <laughs> and health? Well, it's just, it's just a different kind of culture. I mean, I was in Sardinia and I, was, I, was, I had my two guides and we were driving down in this old village that was the side of this hill. And this guy just like stops in front of us and he like, like, gets out and he like this old, <laughs> this old guy and he like sits on the snow, he waves us over. I'm like, I don't know who he is. And we're like, okay, we stopped. He's like, what does he want? And he's like, come. 
And he like sit and like we sat for like an hour and talked and he told us all about his life. And then he's like, come see my village. And then, and then we went down the little hill with him and we drove down and he, his farm, his family has farmed for generations. He's 83 years old, this guy Carmine. And it just, it was just, I mean, you never have that happen in America where someone would like wave you down just to chat and then and share life with you and hang out and tell you stories. And so, the, the, and, they, and they're all, there's no, but there's no nursing homes. <laughs> Everybody is, is part of a family and whether you're married or your spouse is dead or not, or whether you have kids or not, it doesn't matter. I met this woman, Julia, who was 103 months, she said. <laughs> every, month, every month counts at that point. <laughs> I'm talking about 103 months. And she, and she uh, lived with her niece. She never had kids and she lived with her niece and nephew and, and they were, and they were to care of her and she was just part of the community. So there's this really deep sense of community, this deep sense of belonging, this deep sense of being there for each other through all the, the, the struggles of life. And there's, a, there's an incredible story about um, a place in, in Pennsylvania called Rosetto, Pennsylvania. And this is, I, I think this kind of explains the power of relationships. And, and this town basically in Italy, almost en masse moved over and established this other town in America but they kept all their traditions, except they ate a lot of American food, right? But they had all their festivals and all their, they attended each other's weddings and funerals and births and celebrations. And they, they actually, um, you know, really had a wide range of uh, socioeconomic strata within that, at, that population, but they were all really connected. And what they found, and it was really bizarre, you know, that they adopted a lot of the American habits of diet and lifestyle, but they didn't get all the same diseases. They were protected from heart disease and cancer and all this stuff, even though they had crappy diets. And I was like, wow, that's really quite amazing. And so it's a very famous study on, on this place called Rosetta, Pennsylvania, but it underscores the importance of, of these deep connections and relationships that we formed throughout our life. And for me, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's really a central pillar. Every week I meet, and tonight is one of those nights I meet with my group of friends I've had for 40 years that we meet, uh, seven of us, and, you know, we don't live all in the same place, but we meet on Zoom. One of them's coming over. He lives in town, and we're going to hang out and, and do a Zoom call and, and, and share and connect and talk. And, you know, you share everything together. You know, your ups and downs. In, in uh, Okinawa, they have something called the Moai, where there's like, you know, four or five babies that get basically linked together at birth and they live together in, in, in life, not physically live, but they go through life together and they, they're their friends and their kids and they, they go through all the struggles of life together and marriages and, and births and deaths. And so they have this deep, deep sense of connection and community. And we've lost that. Loneliness is probably one of the biggest killers. Um, if you look at the data on loneliness, it, it almost supersedes diet and everything else uh, when you separate it out. And I think we've established a culture that's really individualistic. It's really isolated. It's everybody for themselves. And it's, it's really tragic. So building community and connection is so important. And then within that, you know, having a core primary relationship uh, or whatever style of love you want to have is fine. But, you know, this is, this is where actually the juicy part of life comes in. And this is where healing really can happen. That's, I mean, that's incredible that that kind of a that emphasis on what it means to be part of meaningfully part of a social fabric and included and belonging, having purpose is so incredible. And it's interesting with the primary relationship. There was a there was an interesting study about happiness recently, and they pretty much said, if you want to be happy, have a have a happy uh, personal relationship with somebody, be in nature and have a lot of sex. 
And if you're yeah, doing you if you're doing those three things, you are the happiest based on what people what makes people happy. It's a healthy romantic relationship, being in nature and having sex. And I was like, wow. Go. And I'm like, you think about how hard we work to become successful and to do this and all the effort we put into other areas of our life and how often how little effort or intentionality we put into building community or being you know, in an amazing, healthy relationship. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then before we jump off, the last question I have for you is this. If you could teach all the single people out there who are looking for love, if you could teach mm. them one thing that you think would radically shift love, sex, and relationships across the world, what would you teach them? I would teach them to do what I did, which took me a long friggin' time which is to really take a deep look at my love software, my operating system around love, what my beliefs were, what my patterns were, what my traits were, and really look at where they came from. And, and whatever process that is for you, and there's many ways to get there, to take that really seriously. Because unless you fix your corrupted love software, you're going to just keep repeating the same old patterns and, and have the inability to actually have a healthy relationship. So. That, that would be the first thing I would say. Well, that's amazing. I love that. So if you're listening to this and you want a, a really powerful first step, go and look at yourselves. If you want to learn more about, you know, Dr. Hyman, if you haven't actually gone and explored his work, I mean, go check out his podcast, The Doctor's Pharmacy. It is, you know, a, a collection of incredible interviews across everything related to health. So that's an amazing place to start. And listen, if you're single and you love the idea of being part of a supportive community, which is in solidarity, working on themselves and finding love and, you know, creating a different universe of what it means to be, you know, a, a dating human in this world, check out Levette. That's why we built this. Levette is literally a conscious response to the, the dysfunction of the digital dating world. And we are mm. open for applications now. So if you're single and you're done suffering, you want to be part of an amazing community <laughs> that uplifts you and supports you, then uh, do make sure you check us out as well.